재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This is Koreascape on TBS EFM 101.3 MHz in Seoul and surrounding areas. Did You Know with Michelle Kang is a segment that carries over from our last season of Koreascape to this new season. But this time, Michelle, I don't know if you noticed it, has this uh, great little jazz acoustic guitar riff at the beginning of it. Do you like your new music? Yes, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun. Uh, Michelle is here, as always, to fill us in on little colorful details of life that we may miss in our daily activities, sometimes from the modern day and sometimes from history. She is over at the Seoul Global Center as communications officer over there so she knows all this kind of stuff a lot of kids young people in korea these days have trouble finding a job just because of the economic conditions and globalization and so forth but what was finding a job like in a bygone era in the misty past say six or seven hundred years ago in the joseon dynasty michelle is here to fill us in on that what was it like i mean uh there are i guess there were some top jobs that everybody wanted back then right yeah sure of course but there were obviously um some social ranks mm. so you cannot really have any job that you wanted to have but then because of the social rank yes. you're just destined to have certain jobs yeah uh obviously in that era the well i suppose in this era too the more connections you had to power be they family connections mm-hmm. or personal connections the better because you have a chance at getting close to the royal court and so on confucianism has always been at least in theory right. a meritocratic system mm-hmm. whereby if you are a real sharp cookie you can test yourself into higher and higher brackets of service But on the ordinary level, uh, we just want to talk about some of the jobs that were around back in those days. If you weren't a young bon or if you weren't, you know, a high-ranking student mm-hmm. or something like that. Why don't you fire one or two jobs at me here? Okay, so um, let's just talk about all these beautiful traditional Korean houses, Hanok. Well, they're beautiful, of course. And then, you know, the traditional architecture of most countries, they use um, the natural... Uh, materials, materials right yeah. wood so um it's used for its pillars and then the floor and everything but it's beautiful but at the same time it's very vulnerable to fire yeah wood of course we all know that wood burns and in these cold and especially dry winters before the era when we had lots of chemical flame retardants and so on Uh, fire was a Hanuk's worst enemy. That's right. We saw a little bit of that in the very tragic arson of uh, Namdaemun, Songdaemun. Uh, that went up almost instantly. It was a fireball. That's right. And that's because of it's got so much wood in it. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first job we're talking about is Joseon era firefighter. Firefighters. That's right. But interestingly enough, there were no official firefighters until 1426. No official firefighters, meaning uh, fire broke out and people just did whatever they could do. They could throw together. Right, right. I guess maybe they formed a line from the the well and did a kind of a bucket brigade type of thing. Sure, right. Mm. Um, but you know, uh, Korea's most beloved king Sejong, he did um, come up with something for this as well. <laughs> <laughs> the man who invented Hangul, the Korean alphabet, also said, "Wait, fires break out." 
Let's not let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's form a team of people to not have fires exactly, go on. Exactly, yeah. right. Okay, good. Um, right. Um, in 1426 in Chosan, under the rule of King Sejong, one winter day, a um, huge fire started in the capital city of Seoul. Uh, because of the strong wind, it was spread like all over the town. It burnt more than 2,000 houses, wow. killing 30 people. I'm surprised with that many houses being consumed, only 30 people were killed. Um, but injuring like lots of people, sure. right? I guess they ran away from the scene, and and those thirty unlucky were trapped. Great, but the uh, this um, fire didn't die down. The next day, it kept going on. So this two day blaze turned the houses in the city into ashes, and then lots of people were left homeless. Sure. So our uh, benevolent. King Sejong created a solution to the problem, Korea's first firefighting organization. Kumhwa Dogum, it was called. Kumhwa Dogum. Mm-hmm. How does that break down, that, that word? Okay, Kum is to forbid or uh, prohibit. Okay. And Hwa means fire. Okay, prohibit fire. And then Dogam? Is an organization or unit. Ah, mm-hmm. Okay, good. So the fire prohibiting organization, and then the individual firefighters were? Kumhwa Gun. Kumhwagun, so mm-hmm. the fire prohibiting army, basically. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Okay, the fire prohibiting army went into action in the year, what did you say it was, for, right after the fire of 1426. That's right. But 40 years later, when there was another big fire uh, broke out in the royal court, the unit uh, even got expanded uh, more bigger, and the name to call these firefighters was changed as well from Kumhwa to Myolhwa. What's the difference between a kumhwa and a myolhwa? Uh, kum, I just uh, explained it. It means like uh, ban Forbid or, or ban. Right? But myol is just exterminate or destroy. Exterminate the fires. Mm-hmm. Okay, a stronger uh, a stronger word. What did they do? Did they did they carry large tanks of water the way fire trucks do? Uh, obviously, there was no underground piping and uh, fire hydrants. So how did they put out the fire? Right. Um, you know, the department unit uh, usually considered consisted of 50 firefighters. Uh, they did, did the uh, basic stuff first. They are uh, they were on standby for 24-7. Just like mountain rangers, I think, they would um, stand guard on top of a bell tower okay. every single day mm-hmm. to just uh, see if there is any fire or if they can detect any smoke. Okay, so looking out from a tower all day to see if there's a fire. Right. I wouldn't describe that as the most exciting job, but uh, <laughs> necessary. Necessary, that's right. At least you have a good view. Sure, like uh, usually in the mountain rangers, they have their fire tower on a vantage point, yeah. right? Yeah. So. All right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the clock in at nine and uh, all day long, is there a fire? No. Is there a fire? No. <laughs> and then by five o'clock, you're done or whatever the, the, the schedule was like. So if they did spot a fire, mm-hmm. smoke rising from some house, what happened? So they are on a bell tower, so they uh, would ring the bell to alert the other firefighters and in the citizens alike. Okay, very good. Mm-hmm. And then they, I guess, brought the water? Yes, they, that's right. So, Myolhwagun or these firefighters were um, dispatched to the blaze and then the water supply unit would follow them with buckets of water. Mm-hmm. But there were no fire engines or um, ladders or anything like that. So, the tools they used were very simple, like mm-hmm. axes or um, iron hooks or poles even poles and well there didn't really need fire ladders because uh, a lot of these things were single story right sure 
and uh, water, of course, was in precious short supply. Uh, I, I imagine they must have snuffed out and tamped down the fire. Like sure. the, when you watch an old-fashioned movie, usually they, they take blankets and just mm-hmm. kind of pound the fire, right? Right, right. So they used um, this poles with a wet cloth attached to the end. Um, they would just uh, try to um, scrape the roof or parts of the house to control to have the fire under control. Okay. Um, but over time, this system sort of fizzled out. And this organization was abolished. It really, that, that's a mystery to me. Mm. Did somebody just say, you know, it's no longer a good idea to not have fires or? Yeah, I think it's one of those uh, King's decision yeah. to just um, shut I it down. I guess people get complacent. You know, you go maybe 20, 30 years or so without a major fire. You figure, eh, this is a budget item. Maybe we can cut maybe. back on. Maybe, that's right. Um, but in terms of firefighting, I think Korean people tended to rely on superstitions as well. Um, you can find a trace of this, actually. Okay. Yeah. So um, just think, well, Kurt, yourself as well, like when you go to one of those royal palaces in Seoul, you can, of course, find the main uh, throne hall. Yes. This is where uh, major state affairs were um, taking place, and then the ceremonies like King's coronation was taking place. Mm-hmm. And you can just um, look around if you can find a big bowl of water. There, is that still there? It's still there. And do they still fill it with water? Um, yes, I think so, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So that's sort of the royal court firefighting uh, reservoir. Right. Uh-huh, that mm. makes good sense. I guess if every house were to maintain their own little brazier full of water yeah 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 then um you wouldn't necessarily need a centralized fire department you could have them and the neighbors fight their own fires that's right yeah. but i just said that there's a uh, some superstitious um um meaning to just keep this water in the big bowl um well people believe there were some fire demons so this goes beyond the practical idea that, hey, we can splash the water on the fire, goes into the metaphysical scaring away the fire demons right, because there's right. water. And they, I imagine if I were a fire demon, I would hate a bucket of water. <laughs> right. <laughs> so fire demon, if it passes by the basin or if it sees itself, the reflection in the water, they would just get so scared and then they would run away. Go to that next guy's house. Yeah. <laughs> next guy's house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's your Joseon Dynasty firefighting. Uh, well, let's move on. We got time for a couple of other jobs. Uh, this was, uh, I guess, Hangul had come into its own or uh, those that, uh, if, if Hangul wasn't quite on the scene yet, certainly the, the educated people of the time read Chinese characters. So there was a demand for printed material. That's right. So um, there were lots of different sorts of like peddler pageant. I mean, like merchants, but uh, among mobile merchants, there were people who dealt with books. Sure. They were called a tekkwe. Tekkwe. Mm-hmm. These were the booksellers of the day. Yeah, that's right. And uh, were they sort of brick and mortar bookshops the way we might recognize them around the city here? Or? Mm-hmm. Well, back then, the ruling class didn't want to share their knowledge with the commoners, and then there were no private um, bookstores for these people. So um, these people like Tekwe or booksellers were the only people who put books in circulation. That's interesting. So the the sort of nobility hoarded the books for themselves. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of the common people getting a little too smart and maybe questioning their privilege, perhaps. Right. So these Tekwe were... It's, maybe it's too strong to say providing a form of contraband, 
but it was a little bit sneaky the way they kind of got books to people. That's right. Um, they basically said yes to every customer request. Um, they could be this, uh, the government officials or uh, young boys even. Um, they were agents who traveled all over the country to deliver these books, sometimes prohibited items as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So smugglers and their main trade was uh, books. Uh, was there censorship back in, in that era? Uh, censorship. Well, king's word. <laughs> yeah, I guess the king could censor anything at will, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Um, so this job was um, not illegal in the beginning, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. So one Chinese book that was um, put in the market but that had some content insult, insulting uh, Joseon kings. Uh-huh. So one king, uh, then he confiscated all these copies and burned them all. And then even executed the people who distribu- distributed this book. Which, of course, spiked the demand curve for this book and made it sure. one of the most lucrative and profitable books for these chikke to sell to that's the common right. people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Created a, a black market for books. <laughs> so, yeah, people read these books from, I guess, the, the main source of them would have been China. And, of course, they're going to have a different perspective than the domestic Korean view mm-hmm. and the domestic Korean caution about the nobility. Yeah. They'll be a little bit more freewheeling in their descriptions mm-hmm. of the, the nobility. Right. What about people that couldn't read? Are they just out of luck with these chekwe? Um Well, during the late Joseon dynasty, there were some professional storytellers, too. They were called Jeongisu. Mm-hmm. They were basically um, reading books aloud for other people. There were two types of Jeongisu. Um, some people would just go to rich people's houses. They would just tell stories there. Or uh, some other people would go to uh, places where like, lots of people would come and go. And then they tell stories there. So this is sort of the early equivalent of audiobooks, or I guess you could relate it to a traveling minstrel or a bard, somebody who would have uh, either read directly from the book, mm-hmm. or I bet you these guys, after a while, just got the whole story in their head, and they yeah. could almost perform the story That's the right. way a wandering minstrel might do. Mm, right. So they have some skills to uh, make more money, I think. You know, of course, you would like to just memorize a story, yep. and then you would like to just have this eye contact with the audience. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the interesting thing is they would change the rise um, and the fall of the tone. And when this tension is building up, and an audience, of course, will become silent. Uh-huh. And then when you're reaching to uh, the climax of the story, then you just stop. The storyteller the story. stops. Stop. And does what? And then what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's anything like modern day television, it'll be like bring you up to the cliffhanger and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors that kind of thing <laughs> but in that case uh, it was directly sponsored so I imagine he sort of blackmailed the audience into <laughs> if you want to hear the end of this tale pony up sure. throw me some of those uh, coins and won that's right so well audience would get so curious they would just voluntarily um, give money to um, and make, make the Tangisu carry on reading the story Come on, Chungisu, I gotta know what happens. I'm gonna dig into my pocket. 
throw you these coins. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he would finish that final little cliffhanger. You could find out uh, whether it was the maid or the butler that did it. (laughs) Right. Did these Chonkisu ever, uh, were they just relating other people's tales or were they sometimes the creator of the tales? Well, they were not really creators. um, But because of Chonkisu, this occupation... um, this job contributed to the development of Korean Joseon Dynasty novels. I see. Uh, and then they had a really strong influence on the rise of the popular novels and probably like detective novels, I think. Okay. And then mass uh, participation in cultural activities of like regular people. Very interesting. So they did sort of affect the literary arc here in Korea. Let's move on to another job. Maybe something a little bit involved with law enforcement. Okay. Um, when we think of this secret intelligence service, you would think maybe James Bond. Sure. Right. Um, but we have a real life James Bond in Korea <laughs> uh, during the Joseon Dynasty. Well, I heard this is very unique and it's really hard to find some sort of system similar to this in any other countries. Really? What was the system? Um, the system, Ameng Osa, or Secret Royal Inspector. Ameng Osa. Mm-hmm. We hear in some uh, tales from different countries the idea of the king dressing up like a peasant or a commoner and going undercover and finding out what the people really think of the king. Mm-hmm. This is sort of similar, similar. except it's uh, you know it's not the king himself, but a dispatch of the king kind of scruffing up a little bit and intermingling with people not necessarily to conduct opinion polls but to see who's doing something wrong and who's criticizing the king that right kind of thing. that's right that's mm. right so these people were um undercover officials they were directly um appointed by the king and then uh, they were sent to local provinces and they punish corrupt officials Okay, mm-hmm. so undercover. They were under deep undercover. I imagine they had a, uh, a difficult job. I imagine they had... Uh, e- e- they were in a fair amount of danger. If they're dealing with criminals and shady types, uh, if somebody found out that they were uh, sniffing around on yeah. behalf of the king undercover, right. mm-hmm. very easy to imagine them kind of disappearing uh, right. <laughs> without a trace. Right, right. <laughs> the mafia dons of that day, the Joseon era could have easily um, taken them to the river and made sure they uh, didn't resurface, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. So, so they had to be kind of mm, cagey and careful. Yeah, that's right. So even this um, job was considered as a 3D job. Kurt, are you familiar with this term, 3D? 3D, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Um, dirty, dangerous, and demeaning, or difficult. Dirty, dangerous, and difficult. Right. Because, you know, all these amengosa seemed like they had so much power, because uh, all these uh, corrupt officials were terrified of them. But these uh, inspectors faced many challenges. Just like you uh, mentioned, they might be murdered, yeah. right? Um, and then they couldn't really use money as freely as they wanted. Yeah. Um, they had to uh, just wear some like dirty clothes sometimes. They just had to undercover like all the time. But at the end of the day, if they were discovered or if they were threatened by these criminals out in the countryside, didn't they have something? Nowadays, uh, a, a cop or a federal agent could flash a badge. Mm. Didn't they have some kind of authority they could wheel and say, okay, this is who I am That's and right. back off? That's right. That's the one. Ba-pe it is. Um, it's ba is horses and pe is a tablet. A, a horse, horse tablet. tablet. 
This is an identification tablet, actually. Sounds sounds big and unwieldy. Yeah. <laughs> well, horses were carved on the mape, and then up to 10 horses uh, could be carved on this mape. But only king could have this mape with 10 horses. Usually, Amengosa, they had three to five horses. So the number of horses you have on your tablet indicates your status in the royal structure. Um, That too, but they actually can get... Horses, as many horses that were carved on a map at stations for these uh, travelers. Oh, so you could requisition yes, horses? Yes, yes. You'd say, I need a couple of horses, to keep, one to carry my pack, one to carry me, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, that's okay. right, yeah. So mape, uh, every time this inspector made an appearance, they would uh, they, they had some sort of team members, like royal inspector members, and then all these men would shout... This secret royal inspector is entering now, and then the the hero <laughs> would just uh, <laughs> present his mape. There you go. A dramatic entrance. <laughs> the secret police of the Joseon dynasty. That's a little look at some of the job descriptions. Uh, they've evolved, but uh, we still have kind of similar uh, manifestations of those today. Michelle, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. That's going to bring Koreascape to a, cl- a close. Our show is produced by Ujang Sop with associate production by Jamie Lee, writing by Nikki Kim. I'm Kurt Asian. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Koreascape is the handle. And remember, send any questions about living in Korea to koreascape at gmail.com. We're going to do food and beyond tomorrow. And if you're in Seoul and surrounding areas, this, that, and Amy is up next while we're talking about uh, jobs and uh, work and grinding your way to a living. Let's go out today on Norita Hesang. See you tomorrow.